0: Three, two, one, Joe. Joe Sinkwitz, welcome to this TechBond conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. For all of those out there who do not know who Joe is, Joe Sinkwitz is an advisor to CopyPress, the CEO and co-founder of Intellifluence, author of The Ultimate Guide to Using Influencer Marketing, tons of articles on marketing land, search engine land, on almost other, uh, every other um, big time um, content platform out there. Joe's also the principal um, for or principal for the reputation management agency Digital Heretics, um, and his specialties are selling the <laughs> sites you wish to sell. That's right, it's selling now. It's no
1: longer <laughs> buying. It, it's funny. So it's like, uh, for, for the audience, like uh, Kevin and I had a pre conversation. So on the LinkedIn page, it says buying the sites you want to sell, and that has since flipped pre Penguin we were bank we were taking all our money from payday and insurance we were making 50 grand a day so we were just taking that money and throwing it and throwing it so we, we were paying you know a couple million for autoloans.com million for automobile.com jewel.com, neighborhood.com. we were just buying and buying and buying penguin decimated that market cuz it was basically propped up by like four guys like patrick gavin myself and a couple others so when it dropped you couldn't sell it because you'd be selling it for a
0: tax loss, really.
1: Yeah. So it got up to a reasonable uh, level now, but we're not developing it. So yeah, I'd rather sell those things and focus on intelligence because that's my passion.
0: That's crazy. 50K a day.
1: Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. At the same time, like we had 50 employees at the time. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we grew that company maybe more out of ego than anything, because it was all affiliate driven. We didn't have to answer it to anyone except for a, a hostile board. And so we just did what we did and we didn't care. And then when, when Penguin like flipped that table, we're like, okay, this is done. And then you know, you know I found myself at Copy Press, you know, nine, twelve months later.
0: Oh, the good old days. Yeah, And all that stuff was still possible. So you also you have a pretty extensive background in grayhead or maybe even blackhead stuff. Sure, and then sure, <laughs> let's call it that. Let's. <laughs> but now you're mainly focused on whitehead. So um, I'm curious. Um, for the listeners and for the watchers, what does Intellifluence do exactly?
1: Sure. So Intellifluence is currently the world's largest warm contact influencer marketing network. And I usually have to kind of sound those words out real slowly because, you know, when I'm in the sales calls quite a bit all throughout the day, a lot of the times we run into situations where someone's trying to compare us to like a ninja outreach. I'll say, cool. Ninja's great. But what Ninja is, it's a database of scraped contact information of 20 million something people. And you're going to have some hits in there, no doubt. But a lot of it, people don't even know they're on the list and they're upset when they're outreached. So we're worm contact. Everyone that we have in our network physically signed up. And so there's more to it than that. But that's usually the big takeaway. You know, everyone is able to do transactions on our network. We're one of the few that's GDPR compliant because you know, a big brand that I was talking to, we'll call it like a IBM sort of company, you know, and, you know, they had a need for influencers, but they were afraid of doing all the outreach. So they had looked at, you know, a couple of competitors. Uh, so we said, well, hey, why don't you tell us the people you want to reach out to, I'll take care of the situation, get them into our network, and then kind of slide them right into your DMs so they can, you know,
0: work with you directly through yeah. our campaigns. I feel like that kind of... Um Service economy is really growing where it used to be marketplaces and Mm. now in a lot of cases it slowly transitions into services because people still want to almost have like a one-stop shop solution where they're like, here's what I need, go out and get it. You might still have that big pool attached to it, right? But people don't have the time to really dig through that whole marketplace and handle all the conversations and stuff.
1: But we're running into that too. It's like, you know, a SaaS company and you're at a SaaS. So it's essentially like, you know, you have your software revenues from your subscription. Then we have a marketplace revenue for like transactions that are taking place. We're also finding too that there's a big demand for service revenue where people are like, hey, you know what? You know, I, I don't mind paying a grand a month to do XYZ, but I would pay 10 grand a month if you just take everything off my plate. Like, Okay. So, I mean, I, I know that too, like you used to get a certain level of MMR that, you know, it no longer makes sense and you got to dial it back. We don't have any VCs. So we're going to do what we want to do until we raise money in like, you know, next couple of months. And then that will change.
0: <laughs> you know, we're in the Silicon Valley here and everybody's envious of that situation. I that's, mean, we're, we booted up for three and a half years. So yeah, that's the way to go, honestly. I feel like that that economy is really growing in the right direction and gains a lot more attention. I mean, we're in TaskRabbit's oh, yeah. offices right they're, now. They're
1: totally within our ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the influencer for doing everyday jobs is basically yeah. TaskRabbit. Right,
0: right. So it fits perfectly. And so, um, I mean, you you had a major career in SEO uh, of like 20 years or more, and digital marketing in general, yeah, sure. um, and have that, that again, like, that gray, blackhead-ish kind of background. What turned you into a whitehead?
1: Uh, I kind of force gumped into it, and I'll cover it to, tonight a little bit in my presentation where... I started out kind of dark only because of it, just by happenstance. I was doing um, some work for a doctor that wanted to sell Viagra online, so it just worked that way. And it was Alta Vista, so we were trying to figure out, you well, know, if I make these modifications to the page, we can rank in Alta Vista, Viagra. We understood that there was limitations and difficulties with that type of product. Well, if I cut my teeth on that and went right into payday loans, it was impossible to be doing white hat all the time, anyways. Um, it really wasn't until I connected with copy press where I was like, Hey, I'm doing all this you know, affiliate stuff, which was, you know, organic paid and email. We were cranking on email in not the best way. Uh, <laughs> but then with copy press, like, Hey, you know what? They have a really good idea in terms of how they're going to structure content over a period of time and how they're going to amplify that with social amplification and, you know, native ads. And so that sort of started sh- my, my path. And then Intel is kind of closed the loop because it's like, um, it's possible to do everything that I wanted to do in terms of the KPI without having to worry so much about the risk. And that that was the big, the, the, the dial back.
0: Yeah. And also, um, I, I did a bit of um, due diligence Uh-oh. and uh, uh, digging. And uh, you have, uh, Marty Weintraub wrote an article on Inc.com. Okay. Uh, I think it was referring back to one of the SEO Octoberfest, uh sessions. But um, he basically, and I quote Marty here, wrote about you joe's exploits forced google to make some notable changes
1: (laughs) oh so the payday loan exploit uh payday loan update was because of me
0: oh can you talk more about that
1: Uh, yeah so um i was was running into an issue um in 2012 it was uh just after penguin and you know we you know we figured out that we could do some redirects to get out of penguin 1.0 and then they clamped down on that in 1.1 you know you saw all the stuff in the uk like uh I think what was it like Mr. Cuts loves to pay loans. That was not me. It was someone else. But um, the situation though came into play where uh, our largest competitor was a crime ring out of Eastern Europe. And the way that they're getting ahead was just doing blatant hacks, take over the domain, redirect after a period of uh, you know, a randomized period of time. And just, it was a beautiful structure, but it's totally illegal. And there was a line that I wasn't going to cross. And that was basically, I'm not going to go into Ill- illegality. Uh, I tried working uh, with uh, Google as much as I could. They wouldn't listen. So I got invited to keynote in uh, SEO, uh, SEO com in uh, Salzburg, Austria. So I did some live hacking on stage and I showed how it worked. <laughs> and so I don't know a thousand something people. And I was like, Hey, this is how Google is totally ignoring this very obvious thing where 70% of the SERPs are being supported by this garbage. And then they rolled it out and they said it was algorithmic and it was totally manual, but fine. You know, I caused them to make a little change. My 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 minor footnote in history.
0: Minor. That's a major accomplishment. No, They've they forgotten about this by now. <laughs> oh no. They've told, moved on. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe there's still a little picture hanging on a wall somewhere I, in the Google Play. I know,
1: I was on a list for a while, but I don't think it was on a good list.
0: Oh. I had no idea. So that list exists?
1: Oh yeah. They totally lie about it when they say they don't. They absolutely do. And they did, uh, you've probably talked to Marcus Tandler a little bit yeah. uh, regarding his period of time where um, they had a team trying to find his stuff. <laughs> so yeah, they're not
0: dumb. <laughs> right, right. No, they're not. They're not. That's very true. Um, interesting. I mean, still major accomplishment. Um, so how did you learn all this? How did you learn how to life hack on stage? Like what... I mean obviously there's a ton attached to it and a, sure. a ton of development that happened there but what got you to that point how, did you teach all that yourself just learning by doing did you read a ton of books like how did well, you get there That's a good
1: question So um uh, my I have, I have a couple of undergrads and a master's so my undergrads are in information systems and then operations management and then my master's is in uh, is an MBA uh, emphasis in marketing so there's some some literature sure that I've read over the years uh, I, my first career was is in, in programming. So yeah, while well, I started SEO in college right afterwards, I'm like, I'm going to get a proper, you know, job. And I did, <laughs> I developed tax software, which is the most dry thing in the world. Mm. So I had some technical chops coming into it, but again, it was not just me. I, you know, over that period of time I had a big team and so I'd get a crazy idea and like, let's investigate this. What happens if we do this XYZ? Mm. And then, you know, I had a people doing the research and development and they go through it and like, here's what's happening. Like, well, what if we change this? What if we change this? What if we do this? I can script kitty bit. You know, I don't consider myself near the programmer that some of these people in the industry are. Um, but, you know, I, I made my way through.
0: Yeah, I think you're uh, understating yourself a little bit. I think there's much more to you. Um, but um, that's that's impressive and, and, um, and super interesting. And then... I mean now you're very focused on the social side of things mm-hmm. and you have um, spoken a bit about social engineering before or kind of okay I so see you're so, so I'm going to write I'm on the right uh, path here so talk, talk a bit about that like what's what's your experience what what got you what got you on that track
1: okay so social engineering goes kind of far back um, it was all about the bluff it was about, you know, how do I get into this club when I'm 17, that sort of thing, uh, and dance on stage when you're not supposed to, uh, which happened, unfortunately. I'll regret that. Yeah, it happened when I was young. I was stupid. Uh, but social engineering, I it, mean, it I see that still dovetailing back to search, where um, you're essentially trying to to lead a person down a path. So within a social, you might be trying to get them to uh, use the right uh, brand phrasing that you want to use. Uh, That's kind of where I started with that. And then it just sort of exploded where it's like, well, hey, I can change the outcome of potential legislation if I get the perceived uh, opinion to shift. And so with that, then it's like, okay, well, you know, who do we have to get in front of? And you say, okay, well, here's the people that are opposed to this sort of concept. All right. Well, who are who are they listening to? Who are their constituents? And then you're you know, uh, you know, either paying or you know, you're putting information in front of those people to get them to share it, to get them to comment, to get it in the field of vision. And the, the reality is that whole two percent scenario driving the narrative is real because if you can if you can get them to be very loud and vocal, you can make it seem like well everyone's apparently for this or against or whatever it might be. So that's the direction that went. Um, it's still very tight with with SEO still, but. Um that's kind of where I think social manipulation is really going. Um, we, we did some testing on it for uh, uh, for for politics, but also I recently presented like a, we, we, you could do it for making sure your favorite television show gets uh, renewed. It's like there's you know, if you look at all the successful shows and sci fi that came back, it, you could follow the social campaigns that got them back versus the ones that just sort of died because they didn't have the support, but you can manipulate the support.
0: Interesting. That gets me tons of ideas. Um, but it kind of fits to uh, also this whole uh, concept of um, I think it's nine ninety, where 1% of most communities are the creators, mm-hmm. 9% engage, and then 90% just simply watch and kind Yeah, they're lurking. Uh, ghosting. Uh, um, yeah, lurking. Yeah. Um, what do you think, as kind of an expert in the space, about the 2016 um, election? And I don't want to make this, like, too political. I'm just sure. curious because it fits so perfectly to that.
1: Yeah, so we actually... Uh, uh, Terry Godier and I presented on this in 2016 uh, on Gagged. We started, huh. our, we started our research in the summer, and uh, we were going to do something on influence and then dark influence. And when we got the dark influence, when you're looking at ideas. And so <laughs> let's go to 4chan. And so we were noticing stuff where... Um, Test would run on 4chan. They bubble up onto uh, uh, Reddit. Uh, it was like, at this time, it was like our Donald Trump. And so that's that subreddit. And then from there, the popular ones would sometimes go to Twitter and Facebook groups and whatnot. And then some of the really popular ones would actually get retweeted by the now sitting president of the United States. So that was crazy. Uh, from there, we were like, well, where does this shit coming from? Trace back Eastern Europe. Um, but it was it was further than that. And we were like, okay, well, let, let's look at the Democratic side. It looks a little liberal. And we saw where Hillary's campaign was um, uh, uh, astroturfing on Reddit for Bernie stuff back during the primaries. It, it was dirty, dirty, dirty stuff. Um, yes, absolutely played a huge role. Uh, Indonesia was even bigger uh, in 2014, uh, uh, I believe. And then uh, they moved to an all digital election in 2019. I don't have the stats in front of me, uh, but um, I think something like 500 uh, different uh, election workers got killed that year. Um, there was major fraud allegations, but in Indonesia, it's even crazier because um, they were buying media outlets in order to run their message. So we talk about the divergence here of like you know you know CNN, MSNBC versus Fox. It's very literal there, where they basically own the uh, the fifth state.
0: I mean, what, what what should the government do, or what should we do as citizens of the web to to avoid that stuff? Um,
1: I mean, the best thing you could possibly do is exercise, uh, you know, critical thinking. That's that's the best possible thing. I mean, we had some loose suggestions of here's what Facebook can do, you know, to to, to do like whitelisting stuff. And ultimately, they ended up going down kind of a similar path. I understand; like it's it's very easy for a guy in my armchair to give ideas. Very difficult to implement and not make everyone happy. And of course, like there's a lot of stuff that gets you know listed as like a verified news source, where people are like, "This is total horse crap." What are you going to do in terms of, like the government? Like, uh, well, for one, they could actually get an FTC with teeth. I mean, aren't we and now that Google has uh, 50 different attorneys journal on its back but the FTC and DOJ really aren't doing anything so clearly federal has failed there um, it'll it'll have to happen with uh, Facebook they're going to have to look at it and probably break it apart over the years whether it gets to that point you flip a coin I don't know
0: what about companies what about or you as a private person what if you got um, if you're the victim of a social engineering campaign mm-hmm. is there something you can how, that that helps you to defend yourself. There's something you can do. Yeah, somewhat. I
1: mean, I mean, it depends like what the network is and like the, the the policies they have for trying to figure out if it's a fake account. Like Alita, for whatever reason, idiots pick on Alita, and she's not someone to pick on. And so like they'll try to clone her like Twitter account or her Facebook account, and then because she has a real good network behind her, they can attack it. So maybe that's actually a suggestion. You know, if, if you just have a couple followers, you have a couple people in your network, it may not be strong enough to survive an onslaught. So you could think of it in medieval terms. You need a bigger moat. So it makes it more difficult, make it economically, you know, painful to go after you. And that might be the best route. Uh, but you can never make yourself hack proof. It's just, it's a reality.
0: And that's what you do with digital heretics, right? That's your reputation management and such. Kind yeah, of- it, it usually tends to be
1: something where like a, a CEO did something stupid. And they want to make the bad news go away. And they're like, okay, well, it's not just going to go away. First, stop doing it. <laughs> and then now let's try to figure out what's the extent of this damage and how can we reverse it over time and put out positive narratives and flush it.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So it's mostly about pressing it down the search results and replace it with usually,
1: that that That's the That's the cleanest way. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a lot of social that goes into play just because it's so easy for a negative story to just go viral on Twitter. Yeah. And then once that happens, you have to figure out how I'm going to co-opt a bad hashtag and introduce a good hashtag and then drown the bad one and then start overpaying for the good one so it it pushes it down. Yeah. And then, you know, move on.
0: I wonder how that has – if that has become harder – with google paying so much more attention to the user intent because what i've seen and i mean i've only been in this game for half the time that you have right so uh, you certainly have much more expertise than i have but back in the days basically when it came to search it was enough to um, add a couple of links to certain sites that would then sure. rise up for for example for a brand or for a name and nowadays i feel like it's so much harder user intent is probably just one component of that i think it's also um They Google is so much better at understanding what people actually want, but I'm saying user intent because what I see is that for brand names, um, it basically goes back and forth between YouTube, Twitter, like lots of the big social networks that Mm -hmm. are commonly displayed for a certain brand. So, um, and then you maybe have you know some ammunition with Medium or some other blogs or that kind of stuff. But I feel like it's much harder to get it closer to page one. Whereas because those, um, because those very. you know strong stories that are sometimes mm-hmm. written those those kind of dirty stories get so many clicks i almost feel like they're they're a magnet
1: yeah so there's a couple ways to attack that so one is to recognize that uh, the the authority is not so much in the content the authority is where it's being placed and so you can go and place better content on those same domains right and so you can then focus on manipulating that. So each of those has their own little things. You know, you're getting a lot of applause on Medium, and that's probably going to be dead in the next couple of years. Uh, you know, YouTube, it's, it's all about the subscribers, the comments, you know, the, the views. Uh, and then Search, too. Like, you could still use bots. Bots still work great on user intent. So you're, you're pushing through a lot of different uh, variant brand phrasing, and then you're, you're having them follow through, click, and dwell. And that's usually enough. I mean, the reality is um, they're consuming Chrome data. They're consuming Android data. So they, they know when something's like blatantly manipulated. But if you're mixing it in with all your other positive stuff, it, it can be enough to just push it over the edge.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then um, how does it, how's that different? I mean, you spoke about um, Twitter um, and search. And how to use uh, hashtags, for example, mm. to avoid negative and bad campaigns. Um, let me ask this way: um, How many inquiries do you get or requests for setting up dirty or negative campaigns? Are people coming to you and asking, "Hey, how, who can I? How can I shoot this competitor or this person?"
1: No, away? I mean it, it. Actually, doesn't happen as much as you'd think. Um, you know that we are referral only, so that helps. Uh, but at the same time, too, um, the requests that have come in are usually they recognize that they could get n- not in trouble, but like they could, they're putting themselves out there. Yeah. If, if, like, someone randomly comes to you and says, Hey, Kevin, I want you to, you know, go across the street and shoot that guy. And they don't know what your intent is going to be. Is like, are you, are you the type of person I'll say, Well, how much? <laughs> you say, like, Hey, this is wrong. Am I going to go through with this? Yeah. So, we don't have nearly as much in terms of people coming to ask us to do that. Those that do usually back it up with a story, like, hey, this guy's a dirt bag. Here's all the things he's done. My client just wants him to go away. He's not going away. Can you help her out? And then that's a then it's a little bit more straightforward.
0: <laughs> do you still um what do you prefer? Is it more the black hat stuff or the white hat stuff in general?
1: I mean, I I like the ideas of black hat because it's always kind of it's forbidden, right? It's taboo. But like uh, my worlds have sort of mixed now, where I use influencers in my ORM campaigns because if you if you have a three point five billion reach, you're stupid not to. So like you know, I have stuff that we're trying to push a narrative like for for ORM purposes, and then I can amplify the crap out of it yeah. and just you know you know dump truck of you know facebook shares and that works great so like yeah. my world sort of inter interconnect quite a bit
0: Would you say there are limits regarding certain topics um that you can use to Amplify with influencers um because i mean there's kind of this classic mm. example where you know like all the the tasty videos on facebook obviously go viral within a heartbeat and yeah. they're super easy to share but then there's other i don't know like some medical stuff or so that is super hard to share like what, what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah that, that's a good that's a good point and so the way that we have sort of tried to crack that is everyone ties to self categorize what they do and what their interests are. So if, if you have something that's very niche, like uh, medical or even extreme tech um, and we could talk to, to, to Jonah in a little while um, or I'm sorry, i to, to Micah, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing some stuff with Micah. Yeah. And so it's extremely technical, like penetration testings type stuff not everyone's going to understand what that is. And so the, the way you can get around it is you could uh, talk about it aspirationally where you say like, I don't fully understand this, but here is how I would use it if I had a problem. So it's the same thing in medicals. Like, you know, uh, I don't need a kidney transplant, but these are the guys that I would use if I, if I needed to, because they're rated five on Google or whatever it is. <laughs> like, so, so there's ways around uh, dealing with a difficult subject um, and then from there, I'm a big fan of taking, you know, really complex content, like a video, like a deep, deep video, and then slicing and dicing a million ways. So you're taking out little parts for Instagram stories or Snapchat, you're taking out imagery for Instagram, uh, proper Pinterest, you're taking transcripts and put them in his blog posts. You're amplifying them on Twitter. Like you could really squeeze the blood out of a rock when you start with something complex and meaty. And when it's something niche like that, you almost have to do it because you're just throwing money down the drain otherwise.
0: Gotcha. So it's very kind of omnichannel, everywhere, presence, kind of I concise. think so.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's it's a struggle too for like as a platform, you know, we're SaaS. So you come in and you do a task. You know, you're getting Twitter shares. You're getting YouTube videos done. And it's it's really difficult to like, To provide that strategy real time, because there's, you know, we could talk AI and machine learning be complete bull honky or whatever (laughs) phrase we want to throw in there. It usually is. And we could try to implement that as a strategy, but it doesn't replace like getting on the phone, like, hey guys, here's how I'd do this do this part first, see the results, take it, take the end result, put in this next thing, take it, put it in the next bucket, and so forth, so forth. Um, That works. But it, there's just no great automated solution. It, if someone ever figures that out, then you know they'll make a lot more money than I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think some of those things are better not automated, right? I mean, that's where a lot of the quality comes from, especially when it comes to social engineering or, or any any social um, type of marketing. I think it's – and it's just my impression, you know, I, uh, as a um, – Kind of more or less of it as an outsider, but I think it's it's so hard to automate still, and so hard to maybe you know maybe some of the execution okay that's fine, but um, having that empathy and um, that that almost that feeling for the, the the reception from a social standpoint of view or from an emotional standpoint of view, I think mm-hmm. that's going to be super hard for a machine to replicate. Maybe based on certain hard signals, right? Like b- maybe based on like a feedback or like a response. A signal, but um, just setting up the campaign and having that kind of first um, draft or first step, I think it's going to be really hard for a machine, right? To just say, "Hey, I want—I don't know—like, have a product and I want it to be um, uh, go viral on Facebook or Twitter or something like that." I think the execution is probably going to be automatable, but that that first idea is probably going to be yeah, super
1: that, hard. that's really tough. And also, like the other thing that automation fails at is uh, the the if then. You know, it's like you know, uh, what happens if this is not performing as expected. You know, as humans we're able to look at it and say like here's my obvious tweak to the situation. Computer can only do what it's programmed to do. And so it's like the the program is running like I don't know, I'm just going to keep going because this is the next step. And you could be, you know, wasting even more money on a chain of stuff. It's like the Roomba that runs into the dog poop and it just pushes it around the floor. That's how I envision bad campaigns that are automated.
0: <laughs> I love that uh, that metaphor. Um, so, what do you? Which channel do you think is currently most fruitful in terms of uh, morality and pushing campaigns? I totally understand that it depends on the product, it definitely the category, depends on the, product. the industry. But what what do you see across the board as being the most fruitful one?
1: Um, so in politics, I. See Twitter in uh things like health, beauty, and fitness, Instagram. Um when the niche is really, really difficult. I see YouTube because you're given the opportunity to explain everything. But then I back all of it up with bloggers.
0: Gotcha. So written content, still all the Oh
1: yeah. I mean, like uh uh uh, Lauren Baker made fun of me (laughs) like a couple years ago, and he was absolutely right. He nailed this. He's like, Did you realize you made text link ads 2.0? Like I didn't mean to, but it would—it made sense because we we're we we're onboarding so many bloggers, and then some of the people come in and we're just using it to buy buy blog posts. Uh, so I might as well use them because you take those YouTube videos and you embed them in the blog post. You're able to drive secondary views as well as all the SEO benefit you're going to get. So I always like to backfill, and then you know whether whatever the KPI is, whether it's sales, you're doing branding. There's always a good way to to get some SEO out of it.
0: Uh. All SEO. <laughs> um, what what was one of the campaigns that you're most proud of, or that you have seen somebody else doing that you thought, "Oh my gosh, this mm. is really good"?
1: Uh, so, I mean, th- there's there's definitely some brands that we love. uh we're, we do a lot of work with GhostBed, uh, Rich Bernstein's group. Um, they've done a phenomenal job. Uh, we did a bunch of uh, videos and uh, Instagram stories and Instagram posts, and we pumped them back through blog posts and we're disclosing everything. So like that that's what's awesome about the influencer industry is a quick side note. Um, the efficacy does not decrease when you disclose that it's an ad. That's really important because now you're like, you don't have to worry about FTC breathing down your neck about no follow, et cetera. Just go ahead and disclose. It's no big deal. And now that no follow is you know, a, a signal that Google has to pay more attention to because they're not really sure what's going on with it. We always sort of thought that case, but now it's even more um, that it just sort of works. But anyways, uh, so GhostBed, uh, what I'm proud of is you know, they were really one of our first managed clients where they had an idea and we executed and then we came up with ideas and did more and it just kept going and going and going and they've been doing great. Their traffic's up. They're selling a lot of beds. So I can't complain about that.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Scotland. Hello, Andrew. Us while we're being filmed. <laughs> um, gotcha. And um, do I remember correctly at the FTC um Kind of forces now uh, influencers to disclose when well, articles paid.
1: You know that it, it's really funny, and so like uh, they don't force anything. Gotcha. Um, it's it's kind of vague guidelines, and like you should disclose, but we're not going to tell you what that means. Uh-huh. And that's the state of the industry right now. Um, the bigger you are as an influencer, the more that you you should definitely disclose. Like we talked to the Kardashian family. Uh, so Kim, she can get $500,000 per simple uh, branded post on Instagram without adding anything to it. Just plop it in there, $500,000. Um, obviously, it behooves her to, to do uh, um, the you know, hashtag ad, hashtag spawn. Um, her sister, Kendall, has not been doing it. Uh, she doesn't more now. But there's a period of time where um, she was promoting Fit heavily. And so everything she was doing involved Fit T, Fit tea, Fit T. She wasn't disclosing any of it. Um, the FTC does eventually crack down and tries to make a, an example out of people. They made an example out of Machinima, who was doing a, a campaign with Xbox on YouTube. And all they wanted was they wanted um, high gaming uh, YouTubers to just show uh, footage of using the Xbox 360. And I don't know how many units they sold, but they sold a lot of units and what was interesting though, is you look at he's it, like it was machinima that came to an agreement with f t c not Microsoft oh so like w- with us, we're not really sitting in the middle we' like we make the handshake, but like if Kevin Indig wanted to come in through and like do a you know a shady campaign with a bunch of influencers and he got caught, he couldn't say, "Well, Intel made me do it, And he was like you know it's a saAS you just you did it yourself." But if I was running a managed campaign and I did it for you, then it's another story.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Makes a lot of sense. It puts you in a pretty good position, also. Um, so, what what do you see as um, in terms of the the influencer industry and influencers themselves? What, what do you think makes them most successful? I'm really speaking about the kind of uh, zero to one step or the maybe one to three mm. step instead of kind of the how, you know, the, 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 the small Kardashian sister. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's not going to happen. What do, what do you I see as, as kind of a common path of influencers of how they develop their audience?
1: Develop an expertise. Mm-hmm. Work with people in the industry. And then um, be judicious about what you do. And all, all that, uh, so that's part of, that's half of the book that I wrote actually. Mm-hmm. So half was for brands and agencies on how to use them. And the other half was like, influencers, what do you do? How do you start? It's like, you know, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What do you like to do? And that goes a very long way. And so I, I use like makeup as an example. Um, if you're a makeup influencer, that's cool. But what if you became the person that specializes in, I don't know, like a eyebrows or something, mm-hmm. or maybe even a certain technique within eyebrows. And over a couple of years, you're the account that everyone else follows when it comes to that specific eyebrow technique. You establish yourself as an, an authority and every new product that comes out that talks about that is going to want to be put in your hands gotcha. where maybe you only have a couple thousand people, but you're the person. I'd say focus very, very niche initially, and then back it out in generalization as you get bigger. And it's kind of like SEO. Like, I mean, um, I started out as just the guy that kind of knew how to do some stuff with uh, links at scale, and it just sort of backed into other stuff.
0: Yeah, so it's also like business, right? Yeah. Where if you start up, you look at the smallest kind of audience you can target, and then from there you grow out. So it's it's all the same thing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then that influencer book that she wrote, um, and I'll add the link to the show notes, of course. First of all, what was it like writing that book? It was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Cindy Crum the same thing uh, with her mobile SEO book, and she said that she responded. Her initial reaction was exactly the same.
1: Well, I mean, so I I realized going from SEO to the influencer world that I was not immediately perceived as an expert in influencers. I was like, how do I carry over the expertise? The best way that I thought to do it is like. I'm just going to write a book on this. It'll come from an SEO, you know, you know, skew, but I'm going to shift it and mold it into what I need it to be. And then I segmented out like, here's all the chapters. And each chapter is going to be a mega blog post. And so I just did it every, every couple of weeks. I, that was something I had to do devote, you know, eight, 10 hours to do the writing or whatever it took. And then you know, thankfully I had Andrew to edit all my nonsense in the usable stuff. And then at the very end, we had two big guides, put them together, we worked with Copper press actually um, for another round of editing and getting it formatted for books and all that. It was hard though. Like it don't just jump into it, like have a plan.
0: What was the hardest part? Was just the writing? Was it was it the, the end
1: of it. I think it was like just getting it launched was such a pain. Um, and, and I recognize, you know, that publishers now have it easy comparatively speaking, but you know, getting all the stuff formatted correctly for the ebook and the Amazon store was hard getting all the fonts and stuff in the right you know color depth of the words on page and all that that is not my world and therefore it was hard but actually doing the writing and, and following through that was that was not too bad and of course like like any work of art you know any any blog post that you put out there there's always going to be a couple people who are like this is terrible and like okay but it's it's harder the more time you put into it like come on that took a year
0: <laughs> yeah people are not appreciative like that But then again... Especially if you get
1: to them for free.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the worst. It is. It it means nothing. Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. They're the worst customers to have.
0: That's why, honestly, like I'm thinking about... At some point in the future, I'll certainly write a book. Um, But that's why... I see some people in the industry actually... Um, SEOs, digital marketers, uh, some CMOs, um, starting their own kind of paid communities where they simply put out their content and it works pretty well. There is some good money to to be made there and just comes back to this weird cognitive bias that people think because something is free, it has no value, which is...
1: Communities, uh, actually, I'm a big believer in communities. So obviously, we've built one with Intellifluence. We'll have our own back-end community for all the influencers and whatnot. Uh, We're in TTT, you know, that uh, Traffic Think Tank, that's a good community. SEO Book was a phenomenal community. There's a community with all these meetups. There's, there's like uh, the, one of the reasons I'm doing the conference series is so we can build a community and I can back them all into Intellifluence. So like, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons for for getting in bed with as many of those communities as possible and provide value. If all you do is provide value, you'll get everything you want out of it.
0: I totally agree. I 100% agree. And I wrote this uh, article, I think it was one or two years ago, about communities kind of being the next uh, kind of growth lever or kind of growth opportunity for businesses. And I think um, I think it was a bit too early, but I think there's something to say about people having tried out like the largest possible community, like a Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. where you have almost 3 billion people worldwide connected or maybe we're at that point already. Um, and then realizing, uh, it's actually it's actually too large of a connection. I want to niche noise. down. Yeah, it's too much noise. And that's where I think um, Facebook groups are so much more prevalent at the moment mm-hmm. and everything goes into that direction. Plus, Facebook recognized that as well. I mean, they're not stupid, right? Like, they see exactly what people respond to and whatnot. And I think that's why I get the impression they devalue the feed a little bit and emphasize groups a bit more plus stuff like WhatsApp and Messenger, which in itself are also some sort of communities. Yeah, and in the book,
1: The Facebook Effect, they go into real deep detail on Facebook groups, especially in changing Mark's view in terms of how Facebook could be used as a utility, where it helped to organize people that were upset at... um, like. it was in South America as a South American country. And like it brought together like half the country. It was just like, it's crazy how quick it happened and how it allowed for rapid organization. So I, I agree. I'll take it to the next step further too. So you have, you can have organization of people in like a group, but if you also gate it, you know, the whole free versus paid, make it like a little tiny hurdle for them to have to go over all of a sudden the quality spikes.
0: Yes, 100%. I see that in the the communities you mentioned as well. Um, And it it takes some grooming, right? I think there are different life cycle stages of a community where at the beginning we have to put in a lot of effort to get it started and get it to that height you wanted to fly at. But once you're there, it's almost like a self-driving thing and you can just, it's almost like a flywheel, right? And then you just pour in and you pour in and you slowly develop it further. And that becomes a beautiful thing that brings so much value, whether it's benefit or it's um, just that kind of idea of giving back and helping people out. But SEO is a perfect example for that mm-hmm. because SEO is a tight community um, that gives back so much. And is really, de- I mean, the whole job profession is depending on it being a community that shares yeah. results and findings. You have them. to know.
1: Yeah. Like in the, in the early days of SEO, it was possible to be a renaissance man mm-hmm. where you kind of knew a little bit about everything. I had this conversation with Cindy recently um, when we were at Ungagged in Los Angeles where I was like, look, I sat on your talk. I understood a lot of it, but not nearly to the depth you do. I'm like, you know, it's just, it's gotten so fragmented to the point where you know, like, if it's mobile, I'm just going to go straight to her. I'm not going to try to invest that period of time to become the, the plumber as it were, you know, the, the plumber analogy They come in, they hit something on the hammer, give you a $500 bill, 92 cents for the damage to the hammer. And then $499 and eight cents for the expertise. That's where it's gotten to. Yeah. So like you need to have like the, the, the tech SEO is a great like extreme, like JavaScript guys. Like I'm going to go to Bartosh. I'm going to go to Eric Wu and like, guys, how is this really working? Like, It just no longer is possible to be an expert in all these little fragments. So you have to have the community. yes, And you have to give them as much as you get back.
0: Yes, for sure. If you don't provide value, you're going to get nothing, which is a fair deal. Um, One thing I wanted to come back to, speaking of expertise, and Cindy who also wrote a book, and you wrote a book, and you said you wanted to really get into that kind of um, industry and field, and so you just forced yourself to learn by writing it down is that something that you do a lot if you want to learn something do you do you write about it or what's your approach to that
1: uh you know i i don't really think about it too much in terms like wanting to learn stuff i i I make three lists every week and i follow them uh so i make a it's a long long story it's a long habit i've had where i'll blue sky once a quarter and then once a year and in this i try to get everything that i could think of. And I start segmenting them out. What are things that are going to make money? What are things that are going to cut costs? What are things that I can't easily quantify? And then I try to do it further, like how much investment is required for each of these items? What's the expected payoff? How much time? And then I try to rank as best I can. And all I try to do is do as much value as I possibly can that particular day. In some of those cases, it might be um, just I I need to go do something. And because of that, I need to learn how to do it. So maybe maybe that's the answer. Just I just throw myself into it and I either figure
0: it out or I find the person that can figure it out. Interesting. So now we're getting into why you are able to do so much. So just to rephrase it in my own words, you create separate lists, um, like once a year, once a quarter. You write down all the things that you're kind of that you kind of want to do. You mm-hmm. quantify them by expected outcome, effort, those kind of things, and then you kind of stack rank them and do what provides the most value and the highest returns with the lowest effort. Is that how it goes?
1: Yes, and so and, and the, there are going to be periods of time. So you have these big overriding lists, right? But then you know it 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 becomes. Um, disadvantageous to put them all in like your weekly task list. You're never going to do them all. And so you'll start to feel bad that you didn't accomplish much. So I try to do my best to chunk it out in terms of here's the things I'd, I really want to accomplish this week. You just try to knock them out. And the weeks where you're feeling like depressed or anxious, things aren't going good, give yourself a lot of easy wins. And so I'll take a lot of the things that are going to provide value, but maybe not as hard. Mm-hmm. And you just knock them out and you're like, you know, what? I'm pushing everything forward. Everything's going in the right direction. Um, when you're burnt out that's when you look at the third list like you know maybe I need something fun to do uh, I generally don't like the third list I, I prefer to focus on the first two because that's just where all the action going to happen but we did the same thing like you know over the roadmap for Intel Fluence the five year roadmap we're still executing on it and it pisses off my my, uh, my uh, Eric Kaufman. he's like it's, "Of course it's on your fucking roadmap you know like why do I bother bringing it up I'm like no no keep giving ideas keep giving
0: ideas I love that. So how, did you, how were you able to... I feel like that that's really hard to, def, to create a five-year roadmap and execute on it still after a couple of years because I feel like what often happens is um, it gives you the right things to do for the first year, but then you get to a point where you have to reevaluate and pivot slightly and sure. prioritize other yeah, things.
1: Th- there's, there's definitely things that we've cut out. Yeah, we're like, yeah. yo, this no longer makes any sense. And there's things that are like, hey, um, actually, this shouldn't be year five. This should be year two. Mm-hmm. So there's some of that that happens, but on the rough path... We're still very much doing more or less what we thought we'd do. I think the reason for that is we set out with an idea for like, here's what we want to be. And we know it's going to take several years to get there. And then we know we want to be something else afterward. So we want to be the largest influencer network, period. Now, we're currently the largest warm contact, but we want to be the largest just in general. So we want millions of influencers. We want hundreds of thousands of brands using us. We want to be the Facebook of influencers. Beyond that, we want to... Do something where we're basically like anyone has the capacity to buy influence of anyone else in the world. That that's one of those who knows, pie in the sky, trillion dollar sort of things that may never materialize. But that's what we want to aim for. And so in order to get there, we know we have to follow a rough path of functionality. Hmm. So that's why the that five year roadmaps, you know, we're plotting along.
0: That's pretty smart. So and I was curious because I think it's so hard, but it seems like you're doing this really well. And to me, it seems that the key is to have milestones, but not in terms of what you want to do, but in terms of who you want to be at that.
1: Yeah, place. yeah, exactly. And like, because it helps to back into what you're going to have to do to be in order to be there anyways. Got so it's it. like, you know, we want to have, you know, 10,000 brands. Well, how do you get there? Okay. Well, we know that in order to get there, here's the communities that we want to be a part of. Here's, you know, here's how we're going to you know, grow. Here's how we're going to go here. Here's how we're going to go here. A lot of the stuff doesn't work and you have to reevaluate, but by and large, it's been a good path. Sounds so like a great I'd, 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 I'd recommend doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also probably also personally for yourself. Um, but coming back to the influencer industry, I know it's it's pretty hot at the moment. It's like the, the hot new thing, and everybody wants to do it. I mm-hmm. think not a lot of people know how to do it right or or suck at it. Yeah. But what do you see the industry going in the future? I mean, obviously, you wouldn't be invested in it if you didn't expect oh, it to gonna grow. Oh, it's going to go down to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, like, what do you see coming? What What do you think... What do you see changing also? So
1: we, we started in 2016, and we identified roughly 50 to 100 pseudo competitors of one way or source, you know, people that are influencer agencies would kind of be fit that bill within like a couple years. We were like five, 600. So like we saw it is just explode. So the industry, it's going through a lot of turmoil where there's people that are getting consolidated. People that raised too much money couldn't figure it out. So like tap influence. They were the one everyone's gunning for They had the, you know, the night that they had a really slick looking solution but they couldn't figure out the monetization, right? And then they did raise money. And so they had to sell for pennies on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And so that just happened and they got wiped out of the market to Isaiah. And so we've seen this happen a couple different times where the people that raised too much money. And so that was kind of a signal of like, don't raise the money until you know that you have the fit and then only do so if you can grow profitably from that point on, because we never know when money's going to be hard to raise. I'm not good at raising money. I don't do it a lot, but I'm going to raise 5 million next year or else I'm going to die trying um, so, you know, this is just how things are going to play out. Um, there's going to be a lot of small competitors that come out. The guys that could figure out their niche, they might stay around for a long time. You know, there's, there's a diamond dozen for their influencer, uh, Instagram centric, you know, and they have an app and like, well, what do you get? And you get the same thing. You get all these other ones, like how you differentiate it. What are you doing? How are you providing value to the brand? And then it's, it just becomes a branding game. Yeah. Like, well, crap, how do I going to win this? I'm going to spam the crap out of everyone. And so, you know, I, uh, we are very aggressive trying to onboard influencers because I firmly believe that the the larger I could make that network, the more they're, they're going to organically pull in the brands because we set up some flywheels for them to be trying to constantly bring other people back into that network. And so in doing so, they'll help me get to where I need to be.
0: Gotcha. So it's the same, principle of providing value to get value and provide kind of a hook or or a strong pull for these influencers
1: to come to you. But the branding is the hard part. There's no clear
0: um, winner. Like if you say like
1: influencer marketing, oh yeah, obviously it's this brand. And I want it to be Intellifluence, but it's it's clearly not right now. It's going to take a long time. And so we know that we're going to have to invest a lot of money in order to get there.
0: Gotcha. So you were not joking when you said you want to raise raise $5
1: million. million. Yeah, I'm going to give up 20% of the company, raise five.
0: Love it. Because I have... I know that there are quite a couple of VCs watching this uh, <laughs> and reading the newsletters, so my VC friends uh, right. reach out to Joe. Uh, I'll
1: take your call. I'll, I'll,
0: I would I'll love, give you the spiel. I would love you to see raise that money because I know you're doing a great job and Thank you're you. a super bright guy. Um, how do you think the uh, Instagram removing likes? Plays oh, I love this.
1: So I actually really loved it because likes was such a useless engagement metric. And so, like, if if you go through, if you were to walk through a platform tonight. You're like, okay, I'm going to use Intel funds, I'm going to do Instagram. There's not even an option for purchasing likes because there's no point to it. Uh, um, It was the same thing, too. Like, you know, now, like, people say, well, how are you going to engage? uh, 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 Are you going to measure the engagement? You're going to be looking at the comments, anyways. But even then, it's not that great. You're going to be talking about, like, well, how can you measure through the the, the actual clicks? Instagram obviously makes it really hard for that unless you're like over 10,000 followers and verified or business account there's there's some restrictions but there's coupons and there's there's ways to do it where you can measure that traffic but like i was totally okay with them removing the likes just because it really pissed off people that were selling fake stuff like i I have that's a pet peeve we're like buy this package and i'll get you a million likes on on instagram what's their what's their kpi is their kpi really likes Maybe they have a boss and they're they're trying to get their bonus. In which case, valid. Yeah. But is is it a good KPI for the business? No. Enough. So, like, I was fine with it going away.
0: To <laughs> <laughs> expect more of that to happen, maybe uh, across. Sure. Twitter I mean, uh,
1: I, I yeah, I mean, maybe Twitter. That'd be interesting. I think less so on Twitter because Twitter uses the likes now to inject back into your feed, and I think um, they they have to have at least some data to show that it's worth them doing it. Because yeah. uh, when they started treating it almost like a. Uh, like a no follow retweet. Um, you know, it it started surfacing new information. So I don't know that they pull back there. I could see them maybe pulling back and and Facebook if they have data to suggest that it's not worth doing it, or maybe they'd start providing a range of you know reactions. Yeah. I think each network's a little bit different. Um, I, I I think the the networks themselves are actually the biggest competitors to the whole influencer world. But at the same time, they're always looking at it from a scale perspective. And they want to prepackage things in terms of, like, you know, get certain number of clicks. And they don't necessarily are going to be diving into these individual relationships, which is what the influencer world is all about. That's hard to do. Yeah.
0: So. Absolutely. And um, how do you, what do you think um, SEOs are missing on um, influencer marketing? Why should SEOs pay more attention to influencer marketing? Well, I mean, I, I think. It's,
1: I don't, I don't want to say it's converging. A couple years ago, I was like, look, the press world, the PR world, SEO world has to converge. I still believe that. I think you can get a ton of SEO value getting good press wins, not PR reports, but really good press wins. I see sort of the same path now with influencers specifically where like you can get a lot of SEO wins using influencers and some of those influencers have blogs. Some of those influencers are putting out video material that's linking back to your site in the description on YouTube. It's like, there's a, it's so intermingled that you can't really just extract it. That's where I see this going. So they have to pay attention to look at all these signals that can drive positive um, user signals back to your site. Just focus on that. Can these people send traffic that converts? If so, forget about SEO make money and the SEO is going to benefit you anyways because you're providing value to that user. And it just, that cycle continues.
0: makes perfect sense. Um, what are some of the social networks that you see up and coming or, especially from an influencer perspective, mm. what next social network do you see? TikTok. TikTok? Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, it's it's everywhere right now. Um, it's also though one of those uh, networks that could just immediately die too, right? right? Yeah. It's like my, my issue with TikTok is, you know, I loved it when it was called Vine. <laughs> And Vine was fantastic, and then Twitter ruined it. Yeah. Um, but like TikTok, it's the same thing. It's it's a younger crowd. It's really hip. It's moving, but it's also owned by the Chinese government. So like, yeah. you run into the risk of like, if there's enough backlash, it could lose steam just as something else here is picking up. Twitch has been doing great. You know, Twitch kind of follows that that standard Amazon model of just operate in the background and keep getting efficiency wins. The more they do, and they just keep slowly pulling uh, people off YouTube. For Twitch. Constantly. And so that is just going to give them a, a ton of value over time. And they they started out niche, like we talked about earlier. They started very niche. Now they're broadening out. It used to be just gamers. Now it's, you know, follow me on my Twitch stream. Like, what's your Twitch stream? It's me cooking dinner. Okay. And you look at them like, well, that was kind of interesting. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see it. It's Twitch. I mean, Reddit's bigger than people still realize. That's gigantic. But it's hard because there's so much anonymity to Reddit that it, it's hard to like build up a user base and then follow and do all the things that you would like to do. You talked to Brent Kostoris about Reddit social. He's, yeah. he's the master at that stuff.
0: Let's talk about Reddit real quick. Um, Cause um, my team at G2, I have one person only dedicated to Reddit, Cora, mm-hmm. a couple of other social networks, but um, what is the biggest mistake you see people make on Reddit besides just promoting themselves? Yeah, too much? Th-
1: that's actually the biggest one I think. Um, yeah, and so I actually did this to my benefit uh, a couple of years ago. So um, I was I was a shadow CMO for a, a let's call it a vapor uh, e-cigarette company, and they created the only uh, phone that you could vape. Wow! And they gave me all of zero dollars budget to figure this out. And so we got the e-cig in the vaping community on Reddit to make fun of the product enough that it got picked up in Facebook groups. Twitter and then all of a sudden it picked up press coverage. We got featured in Playboy, we were on the Verge, we're in Maxim. So there's ways to do Reddit wrong for the purpose of doing it right elsewhere. <laughs> so there, there's that. But people that come in there and treat it like an ad space, that's just gonna fail. I think for, with the Reddit, the best way is like interact with the community, show that you're one of them, i.e., you know, you care about the community, you're helping it grow, and then the advertising becomes kind of secondary in nature. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard nut to crack. Yeah. It really is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. I once failed miserably on a subreddit that I tried to build up. I'm not gonna say which one it was, uh, but I had that painful experience. Anyway, I learned a ton from it, um, and I I absolutely agree with you. It's a it's a very underrated platform that you can pull a ton out of. Uh, similar to Cora, I really have to say. Cora um, bugs me though. Why?
1: So Cora has so the, their moderation. They don't do any real QA checks on their moderation. Right. So I had a bunch of material that I would written specifically for Quora. You get one spammer go through and mark all your stuff as spam and they just removed it and they wouldn't give any uh, ability to bring it back. So I'm like, oh. done with Quora. Oh. So uh, until Quora figures out their post-moderation QA, like, was this flag for competitive reasons versus reality? Because there's, there's just too much junk and noise in Quora for my tastes. Gotcha. I Personal tastes.
0: Yeah, no, I hear it, I hear it totally. Uh, I but never- it drove a lot of traffic when it worked. True, true. I, I never had that experience, but that makes perfect sense. I never realized I had that, that kind of gap. Uh, but I just talked to J.D. Prater, who's the mm. evangelist of Cora, yeah. uh, and I'll funnel that over to him. Uh, I'm sure that's Uh-oh. helpful. <laughs> no, no, no. no.
1: Yeah, we were trading emails a well while back. We were talking about doing DC and it, things didn't work out. But yeah. Yeah, no, but it's good feedback. We'll get him up to Napa.
0: Yeah, seriously, uh, I think it would be really interesting uh, to broaden the horizon. And speaking of Napa, you're much more involved um, with uh, Jim Christian and Advanced Search Summit. Can you speak, can you lose a couple of words about that?
1: Sure. Yeah, uh, he got me drunk and I wrote a check. (laughs) (laughs) No, it it, so it it turned out, so Jim, uh, he was the head of SEO for GoDaddy, right? And so he was doing that for years. I was doing search for years we live five minutes away and we didn't know for over a decade. Right. So we randomly got together. I think it was actually through William Sears who put us together. We got together, had a bunch of wine. He invited me to come out to the conference at some point. I'm like, sure, no, not a problem. One of his speakers backed out a couple years back. And he's like, can you come? It's like a last minute thing. You know, bring your wife. It'll be a great time. So I did. Loved it. It was a, f- it was a fantastic time to point where I was like, hey, let me know if you ever want to expand this thing. I'm like, you know, here's what I want to do. I want to take a nap and I want to build a community around it. He's like, okay, yeah, uh, um, let's create a new company. So we did it's Sloppy Octopus, which is the legal entity of the Advanced Search Summit now. I am the chief mollusk officer. He is the co-flounder. And uh, so TJ is the chief invertebrate officer. So we just go for Like, we, we get together every week or so. We have way too many FaceTime calls and way too many Facebook Messenger calls. It's a good time, it's a good group. Uh, running a conference is hard. DC was really hard because like, there was a city that none of us know very well. It would, you know we were, we were putting together an agenda and all this stuff. Napa, it's going it's so far ahead of track right now. Like we closed another like four uh, sponsorships this week already. So it's like Napa is coming together great. I love Napa. I'm looking forward to it. We already have we bought enough wine barrels. Um, to we're going to have our own wine. It's a pinot noir. It's going to be the Beckham Ipsum pinot noir. So on the back it says our story begins with pork bacon and it's like the pork (laughs) products from bacon ipsum. Like we love it, we love that we're nerds, and hopefully uh, the people that attend enjoy it as much as we do. Uh,
0: Sounds like so much fun. Yeah, I've been to uh, Advanced Search Summit in Napa three times now, and it's probably one of my absolute favorite conferences because the whole package is great, right? You have Mm -hmm. the right kind of crowd, especially to me as an in-house SEO or digital marketer. um, You have a good variance between the topics, so it's not too much SEO. Um, and I mean, the location is great, the surrounding is great, the whole crew is great because I feel like you guys do a really good job in kind of selecting the right people. and mixing It's them. hard. I mean, we get over 300 pitches, yeah.
1: and we try to do it blind as much as we can for like, you know, here's what the audience wants. We're, we're becoming an enterprise search con- conference, yeah, yeah. and we know that we have to do that when that's how we're going to stand apart. And sometimes we'll get pitches like, I talk about links, and I talk about content, and I talk about video, Pick me, I'm like. Well, obviously, I don't even know who you are. You might be my best friend, but like, I'm sorry, this is a terrible pitch. But then we get some really great ones. We had uh, uh, Jacqueline from Sears that she's like, "How about we talk about, you know, how do you manage budgets and win SEO and, and, and PPC going through bankruptcy?" I'm like, "I've never heard of this before," and it was phenomenal. She did great, and she's coming back for Napa. She's going to be on a panel with some retailers, so we're going to be talking about retail SEO panel. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to the old timers panel with Greg Bozer bringing him out of speaking retirement. Wheel out that wheelchair. Just kidding, Greg. He's not that much older than me, so I can I'm right there with him.
0: Okay, so okay, I'll, I'll certainly be there uh next year again. Um and so when it comes down to all of the social engineering to Jim Christian getting you drunk and you writing a check yeah. to you know all the stuff you've done in the past, what do you think is core to um, to getting people to do things and maybe even in line with your fundraising of next year for 5 oh, million, sure. like social engineering, like does it mean to understand what triggers an emotion? Does yes. it mean psychological
1: triggers matter a significant deal mm-hmm. in getting that outcome? So uh, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit tonight in my presentation, but I, I, I try to start with the authority or the aspirational figure and then work down. So you're like, this is what I want. It's ADA, right? So I, I'm looking at, this is what I want. This person's validating my interest. All you know now. My peers have it, so now I really need it. And then it's pile-on effect of like a wolf pack, where it's like everyone around me has this. I have to be in, and I I, I do see that within you know even though I don't personally raise money, I, I see that happen within that VC market where like a couple of VCs get in, everyone wants in. It like becomes like it's just one of those games. I see that play out uh, with the influencer uh, setup. I think as soon as individuals start to realize that there's real money that they can make in the sharing economy. Like it, it, Uber and Lyft can get a bad name because of the practices, but the whole concept of being able to call a car on hire was transformative. And you, you see the same thing with TaskRabbit. And you're like, if I need someone to come mow my lawn, I can find it real fast and it, it, it works. It, it gives value to them. It gives value to me. I see that happening within social and that's why I'm trying to push it on social and blogs. I want to be the network where it's like, I need to um to have the outcome I want on these networks, got to go through on telephones to get that. That's where I want that
0: to be. How do you teach that to your kids that this exists and that people can? Sure, they you?
1: ask a lot of questions. My uh, my oldest daughters already smarter than I am, so that helps out a lot. She skipped a couple grades in math, and she's she's out there going to go see Harvard in May. So that's cool. And she's an eighth, eighth grader. Well, congratulations! <laughs> I write those checks. Uh, but I mean. Uh, I, I, you know, actually, I, I love raising my kids. Um, I When they were young, I would, I would alternate. I'd read them a story. I try to read them, have them read me a story. I would, and then one like a, a different night. And then the next night I might make up a story. And The following night may have them make up their own story. So I wanted to like teach, you know, obviously the reading fundamentals, but also, you know, uh, creative thinking, you know, uh, story and the, telling a story isn't just about having creativity. It's also, you have to understand logic. You have to start at a point and have the person follow along in that journey to arrive at a destination. And if you can't do that, you can't sell. And so if I could teach some creative storytelling, they could sell. And, you know, beyond that, we all have a love for math. And so we, we do math. Um, I, one of the side projects I'll eventually do when I retire. Uh, there's uh, over 140 books I want to write children's stories. I distilled the top eight MBA programs down into little nuggets of here's the lesson I want to learn from like financial accounting. Here's the lesson I would like to learn from, uh, um, balancing a checkbook. And then, put them in the children's stories so that kids can like grow up with the fun business fundamentals. It's something that probably only sell well in like San Francisco and Manhattan, but it's something I kind of want to do after my business days are long behind me.
0: Yeah, and it's something that... That common education fails to teach people, right? It's these basics and these kind of uh, regular things, especially when it comes to um, um, accounting or taxes. I mean, it's it's so ridiculous. Yeah, it, taxes, never-
1: especially marketing, is like one of those things. Yeah. Human resources, like you know, when do you hire someone? Like, how do you fire someone? Yeah. And, you know, and that's right. and it's it's a hard thing. It's never gotten easy for me. But at the same time, you understand, like, if you know it's time, it's time, and yes. so it'd be a great. Fun thing to tell a story about waiting too long and the implications like, oh, this other guy, you could have had Susie come and join your lemonade stand, but, could,
0: you know. <laughs> totally. I could not agree more. And first of all, I have a very strong feeling you'll raise 5 million next year. I, Thank you. I would, I would almost bet. The, only, the only reason
1: that. I wouldn't do it is if the bootstrapping takes off too much and then I just don't need to. Sure. But I'm planning on it, so and The why second not? thing,
0: I hope you retire really quickly because the I, world but I, needs I, those nah, books. No, no, I, I really like working though, so... Yeah. No, I feel you. Yeah. And also, I wanted to very quickly nerd out on intermittent fasting. Yes. I know it's kind of a yeah. 180, Let's but I know it. it's something Let's else it. that you're curious and passionate about. So oh, maybe I that's love it. the bridge. We go from children's books. Uh, yeah. Uh, you to know, that's where fasting. Reddit
1: is fantastic. The, the, the keto thread, I mean, the keto subreddit, the intermittent fasting, the fasting. Uh, I'm deep. Let's do it.
0: So what is your current regimen on intermittent fasting?
1: Sure. So uh, I mixed it up over the years. Um, I was doing OMAD for a while where I was just doing one meal a day um, within a four-hour period, but I'd try to do it within like a 90-minute if I could. I my, my biggest issue with eating was not so much uh, the food selection, it was volume. My, my portion control does not exist. And so uh, by forcing a time constraint, that helped a lot um but i switched up even more i started doing a little bit longer extended fast i went from 24 to 48 72 i did a 10 day fast and i survived and i was like okay well hey you know what if i could do this i'm going to incorporate so uh, a couple let's see here a little over a month and a half ago aaron Wall and, and terry godier challenged to a little weight loss contest we're all three fat guys and like, so, hey let's do this and so like here's what i'm going to do i'm just going to work out i'm not going i'm i'm not going to worry about the type of food even though i'm keto but I'm going to work in a, a 72 to 80 hour fast every other week. And, and it's been working great. I think it, it's as simple as that. That's why it's so hard. Like, you know, the next big diet book is like to stop eating for a while. Yeah. And it reverses so many ill effects of, you know, inflammation and just making your life easier. It helps you to breathe more. It pulls the water off your body. So long as you're getting the right electrolytes in your system, uh, a guy like me can go a very long time without food.
0: I agree, but it wouldn't sell so well, right? It's like off, often that simple advice that is so... I, I agree with yeah. you. I totally agree. Um, but yeah, I've had my own uh, experimentation history with intermittent fasting. I think there was about um, one and a half years that I tried all the different regimens, like 16 sixteen eights and a 24 and then a one-day-week fast, and it's really interesting because after a while you understand that hunger is really something that goes away quickly. It's more yeah, or less yeah. an impulse. It's just
1: ghrelin hormone, and as yeah. soon as that ghrelin drops sufficient level, that's where the first day is always the hardest. Yeah, and like so, like I, I'd I'd, li- I'd rather do a three-day every other week than a, than a than a one-day every week. Yeah. Because like it starts to gnaw at you. But after that first day, it goes away. Yeah, it's fine.
0: Yeah, ghrelin, the hunger hormone. It's really interesting because there's a lot of research happening right now into figuring out how to control uh, ghrelin and I think leptin as well mm-hmm. uh, with yeah. um, with pills or with uh, exogenous. Um, um, the exogenous ketones and stuff. Yeah, I, kind of I,
1: I, I skipped those because like if you're already in ketosis, don't enter anything in. Yeah. It does have to get metabolized back into the kidney. I'm sorry, the liver. Mm-hmm. So like you know, skip that process. Yeah.
0: But, and so one one of the interesting things that I found when I did intermittent fasting is, in the fasting period I was on.
1: Oh yeah, I was- mental clarity oh, is sharp. God. That's what. That's why I did the ten day. I was like, you know, I I kept reading these the, the anecdotal uh, stories about by that seventh day I had my breakthrough, and I, was, and I was like, I felt like I was in need of a breakthrough, yeah. and I had one. Yeah, and I was like, holy crap! This the, it kind of worked, and like I hate. Um, those type of stories only because they're not backed up with hard data. Yeah. It's just a personal feeling. Yes. And so there, there could be absolutely could be tugging on emotions and a lot of that stuff kind of gets pulled up when you're fasting for a long time. But I did have the mental clarity required to sort of have a breakthrough. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm doing this once a quarter. I gotta make sure I do it. You know, I know the Valley's big on like microdosing. Um, I'm not, <laughs> but I'll do my, uh, my fast every quarter
0: yeah it's, it's certainly super interesting to play around with um and so you do a, a, a long fast of what 80 hours once a quarter you said
1: uh so i uh, no, no no the 80 hours i do every other week oh and so i'm going to do a 10 day or a 7 to 10 day so my next uh, big one comes on uh, christmas is going to be my cheat day i get one cheat day a month and then the 26th through the 1st of january i'll just Fast, so I'll be like a, about seven days, roughly, and then I'll end the, that weight loss contest so I can win and walk away.
0: <laughs> what is what? What's your favorite go to food in your cheat day? My favorite what? Go to food
1: on a cheat day? Uh, it's usually just something I haven't had in a while. So like I love sushi, so like we'll just go and we'll pound a bunch of sushi one of the days. The next month it might be like you know what I haven't had this burger in forever. I really want the. The bun because it's a pretzel bread bun and waffle fries and so that'll be it. And I, I love pizza. I love nachos. I love all the bad things we shouldn't love. So I just try to space them out.
0: Uh, here's the audience coming in for everybody who doesn't see it. Uh-oh. Uh oh, people on the outside of the office. It's his actually, fault. It's his fault. <laughs> are tapping on the window like we're like in a zoo actually. Um okay here we go that's live recording okay we'll wrap it up real quick just one last thing about nachos uh, I actually found this on the internet um, that um, your Amazon buy actually says beating bemused strangers in nacho eating contests oh that's because
1: I have no volume control and so it's just a joke, but like uh, sure, we, sure.
0: we we've done a couple different um, uh, uh,
1: ch- uh, chili pepper eating contests at work, and like the chip challenge and that challenge, all this. Stuff. I I won every time. It's not because I have a high tolerance; I just hate losing. And so, you know, <laughs>
0: here we go. That's all it is. Another piece of the personality. Yeah. I love it, Joe. You are an absolute stud. You are amazing. Um, Tell st- my wife that. That'll really help. <laughs> <laughs> she knows. I have a feeling she knows. Uh, but if she doesn't, uh, Joe, you're an amazing stud. Uh, I still remember how uh, I rushed through my last presentation at Advanced Search Summit, and oh. you kind of jumped out and asked me questions about my lifts and all that kind of stuff. It just saved yeah, just, the day.
1: Yeah. Oh, you got, let's talk about your Wilkes score. What are you doing now?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. But anyway, just such a kind and at the same time super smart person. Uh, really admire you, and the community benefits greatly from having you. So um, wrapping up, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter, usually uh, CygnusSEO, C-Y-G-N-U-S-S-E-O. Uh, my email is joe at intellifluence.com and i answer all my own email and don't worry you're not going to really really spamming me i get i don't know thousand to ten thousand a day depending on the day so hit me up there you'll find me
0: sounds like a chill time joe thank you so much for your time it was great having you on uh everybody follow uh joe on social and um yeah thank you thank you kevin that was awesome man thank you that was great